0: We are, I'm Taylor, by the way, I'm a pastor here at Sojourn Gallery, and I just want to say, welcome. You're so, so welcome, and I'm, I'm glad to be with you, worshiping Jesus, worshiping the triune God through the person of Christ this morning. I, as most of you know, we have been, for the first six weeks of this year, this is the sixth Sunday, the sixth week, in Psalm 23. Really comforting Psalm, but... I have gotten to know, and I think we we of us who have uh, those of us who have been in house church probably I, you could probably I can probably say this for everybody have become more familiar with what David says here in this psalm, and, and really it's a psalm of deep comfort. But it's not a psalm just of green pastures, which is kind of what you think of, what I thought of when I thought of Psalm 23. But it really dives down into deep waters and death valley, and, and it's sort of a walk through all of the vicissitudes of life. With, with our shepherd holding our hand and watching over us. And so it's been, it's been an amazing journey. This is the end of that journey. Um, we're in verse 6 today. But, and then we're going to start again in Acts. Chapter 16 is where we left off in the fall. So we're going to jump back into Acts um, this spring. And, we'll, and we'll, do, we'll take a break for Passion Week and be in some other texts there. But um, yes, we are in verse 6. And what I'll do is I will unpack the verse some... Um, with us, but also sort of give a review of, of the whole thing. And, you know, I, uh, I'm titling this, this message, The Inescapable Kindness of God, and I, and I think you'll see why before I'm done. But I, I remember it was about two weeks ago, I almost said our naughtiest, um, that might be true, but I, I will say our, uh, our wiliest and uh, the one that maybe has the most, the, the biggest twinkle in her eye, Susanna, out of our three kids. She had broken loose again and reigned somewhere in the neighborhood. We, we knew not where. And I emphasize the word again because it's almost a weekly occurrence. But this time, you know, sometimes you're like, where's Susanna? But this time was like a, we really didn't know. And I'm kind of of the persuasion that we're going to find her eventually. But Robin's sort of more the persuasion that, no, she's probably been kidnapped. That's kind of her first go-to. And, and so she had that, that, that look in her eye. Yeah, she had that look at moms. You know, you know what I'm talking about. She had that look in her eye when she kind of like busted out of the house. It was kind of one of these, you know, like you got that crazy look in your eye. And uh, man, she had it, and it was like we better find this kid. And if 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 nobody, she doesn't need help, just get out of her way, essentially. Um, and She was running from house to house, calling our friends and desperate and frantic and determined to find Susanna and find Susanna. She did. And um, she was she was pursuing our daughter. And that's there's almost nothing stronger on earth than a a mom going after her her bear cubs. Um, I think of on on that note, I think of the movie, which I've only seen bits of but taken. I think it's called by Liam Neeson. Yeah. Yeah, he got some fist pumps in the back uh, total dude movie. Cause it's about justice. It's about rescue. It's about going after the bad guys and making them pay his daughters taken from him, but I don't, I'm not sure that they realize that he's, he's like a total bad dude. I mean, he's, he's a good guy, but he's trained in special ops and he's got all the, all the black belt, martial arts, secret service stuff going for him. And so it's like, I pity the fool who stands between me and my daughter. And so he has four days before she's sold on the market. She's a, like a teenager, early twenties uh, to get her back. And he uses all his connections and all his expertise and he is, he's a man on a mission in pursuit of his daughter and, and a lot of people die if <laughs> you stand between him and his daughter, you're going down if you get between him and his daughter, I think lastly of, uh, of an older movie that I have seen many times and I have the soundtrack to, et cetera, because I'm a super, a child of the eighties and nineties, but it was a nineties movie called, um, called last of the Mohicans based on the novel, Dow. Yeah. Great movie. Daniel Day-Lewis, maybe the best actor ever to uh, to grace the silver screen. One of the one of the best, certainly. Plays Hawkeye, and he's it's that scene where he's behind the veil of falling water with her, and they're after him. The British troops are after him, and he's about to he's about to jump through the veil of water down into the rapids and escape. And he's going to leave her to be taken by the troops, and she's going to be okay because. One of, the tr- one of the commanders is sweet on her, but he would, he would be dead. And the last words that he says to her are, it's a famous line, right? You could almost all, if you've seen the movie, say it with me. But he says, no matter what may occur, I will find you. And you just believe, you believe him. No matter what may occur, I will find you. You believe he's going to do it, and indeed he does. Um, come hell or high water, he's going to get back to her. He's going to find her. And pity the fool who tries to stand between him and uh, Korah is her name and Korah, right? Um, So what all these things have in common is this furious pursuit by the lover of the beloved. And that's really the driver. That's really the driver here in verse six. Let me go ahead and read it now for us. Um, In fact, it would be a pity if I didn't read the whole chapter. It's It's a short chapter, six verses. So let me go ahead and do that now with a focus on on the last verse, it's a psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, full stop. I'll come back to that, that phrase in a little bit. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, say it with me, no, no evil. He calls it evil. He's not airbrushing it, but he's not going to fear. Why? Next line. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're sort of walking out of the valley here, aren't we? You anoint my head with oil. But notice his enemies still surround him, right? He's still got all sorts of things threatening him in this life, but he's not going to fear. He's being blessed by his shepherd. My cup overflows. And then last verse, our verse for this morning for the next few minutes. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well. One of the things that I've learned in one of the many things uh, that I've learned in studying, taking a closer look at this beautiful word from David is that um, a lot of the verses speak to each other. And there's certainly a structure to this um, to this beautiful poem. One of the things that is happening in the connections is that verse six connects back to verse one and verse one speaks to verse six. So when you read them, you're supposed to read them really speaking um, in particular to each other. And so when we read that famous first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. um, The only other time the Lord is mentioned explicitly is in verse 6. There are a lot of other connections between the two verses too, but surely uh, "Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. There it is again, the covenant God forever. So one of the messages, you're supposed to understand that verse along with verse 1. Um, and, and one of the things that we need to take from that is that because the, here's why I, I won't lack anything. Here's why I have everything I need. Because the Lord's my shepherd. But then along with that, this, that goodness and mercy will surely follow me all the days of my life. Um, so there's it baked into what we truly need is for the goodness and mercy of God to not just follow us. But I'll get to this in a second to pursue us. We need him to be our shepherd, and we need to know him in all of his depth. That's what we're made for. He created us for himself to be, um, to be followed by him, to be pursued by him. But even in that being followed by him, you can get a tinge, a twinge of sort of part of the problem. An intimation of part of the problem. And that is that, why do goodness and mercy have to follow me? And as I'll get to in a second, and as I started with um, at the beginning of the sermon... Actually, the text says, goodness and mercy hunt me down. They chase after me. They they will, no matter what may occur, they will find me. Um, and that goes back to the Lord being my shepherd. He's the one. and We'll get to this who pursues me and he's the one I need. But why is he having to run after me embedded as we've, if we've walked as a house, as a group of house churches through this song? We've seen this, but to, as a, to remind you, and just in case you weren't part of this. Um In the middle of this psalm is a picture not of a sheep who's getting all of his needs met, and who is with the Lord, but a sheep who has wandered. And this is not just a picture of David, it's a picture it's a metaphor for David. The Lord is his shepherd. He's the Lord's sheep. Uh, the Lord is his king, He's the Lord's son. And this is a metaphor for all of us. This is the human journey. But in the middle of this psalm, embedded right in the center in the hot core, is this picture of a wandering sheep, a sheep who's gone astray and who's far from God. And, and why do I say that? Because it's right there in, and I paused at this verse, he restores my soul. And again, this is review for most of you, but you kind of miss it with that. It's a, you see that a little bit like he restores me. I need, you think about a car needing restoration or a house, like it's old, it's damaged, it needs to be beautified. There's certainly, that's certainly the case with the, every human that's born on planet earth. Because of the sin that we're born into, because of um, our identity in the first Adam. We are broken on the inside. There's something terribly wrong with us. As much beauty and power and creativity as we see in the human race, there's just read the newspapers, just look inside your own heart. There's something terribly wrong. But there's also something terribly wrong because of that with the world. Right. Um, But you see. That even more clearly, if you change the word from he restores my soul to the the Hebrew, the literal Hebrew in its simplest sense is just he returns my soul. And my soul can sound kind of spiritual. It just means my life, everything about me, living, breathing, my spirit, my physical, my immaterial part, all that makes me a, a human person made for the shepherd, made for God, made to know him, made to feed on him, which we will do in a minute by faith in Jesus Christ after I finish here. Um, that's what soul means, my life. But I have, to, my soul has to be not just restored, but returned is what the Hebrew means. It's just a simple word for literally I returned this garment that I borrowed from a friend. And we've talked about this, too, but embedded in that, there's a lot implied in that term. And notice that this is this is the picture of a man who's walking down into the valley of the shadow He's a sheep who has to be restored. He's a sheep and we are sheep who have to be returned. Embedded in that is what? Returned from where? From somewhere we should not have been. Brought back to verse 1 and verse 6. Brought back to God's house. Brought back to the place we need to be surrounded by. Encountering his goodness and mercy. But we've wandered. We've wandered. We've gone far off. Um, Jesus tells a parable we I'm going to now touch on, and you're all, almost all familiar with it, but that's okay. Um, some of the things we need most are just to be reminded of the, the truths that we already know. To have them put back in front of us again. Preach the gospel to me again, brother. Um, Jesus tells one of my favorite parables in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, right? And it's really the, prod, it's really the parable of two sons. Uh, One of them is a wastrel who runs away and the other one is one who stays at home but thinks that God's mean and a taskmaster. Um, But the first son, this really gives us a picture, this story that Jesus tells about the human condition. It really gives us a picture of really the whole sweep of of human history and the sweep that the Bible gives us, but also the sweep of this psalm, which is kind of the narrative of scripture. Um, and that is that we start in the father's house. This son is in his father's house. And he basically says to his father, within the cultural milieu that he's in, he basically tells his father, I would, I, I would rather you were dead. And here's why he says that, to him. He doesn't say that explicitly in the parable. But he says it to him because he says, I want my inheritance now. When do you typically get your inheritance from your parents? Yeah, when they die in this culture, certainly Okay, so he's basically saying, among other things, to his dad, I wish you were dead. It would be better if you were. Give me my half. Now, any other parent would have backhanded the kid or give him a stern lecture or been, certainly been heartbroken and this father, no doubt was. There's lots of evidence for that here. But he gives him his part of the inheritance. He gives him what he asks for. And sometimes, you know, Romans 1, a lot of times, the worst thing that God can do for us is to give us what we ask for. Because the Good Shepherd, He gives us not everything we want, thank God. If I gave my kids everything they wanted, they'd be dead to ditch somewhere, right? But He gives us what we need. And that word, I shall not want, is a little bit stilted, a little bit ancient, but it really just means I, I lack nothing. All my needs are met. He gives me what I truly, truly need. And what I truly need, we'll, we'll dig into this more in the next few minutes, is Him. Right? Him, His protection, His person. Um, but the son says, give me my half. And the father gives it to him. And then what does the son do? He, he goes to a far country. And that's what we find. That's where we find ourselves in the middle of this song. We've all gone to a far country. Friends, can I say this? We're born. We're born in a far country. We were made for God and made for his home. But because of the curse of Adam and because when we are born the first time, we are born into the curse. We're not born people who do things that are sinful. We are born sinners, opposed to God in our constitution. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so a second son was sin, and a second Adam so that we could have what? A second birth. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I'll get there in a second. The son goes out. And he had he lives wild. he lives high on the hog for a while and he's happy, no doubt. I mean, what's one of the reasons? That's the main reason we sin. Augustine said St. Augustine, fourth century, fourth, fifth century uh, Christian churchman, bishop, scholar, writer said um, we always choose what we think is going to make us happy every time, every time. Even if it's delayed gratification, right? Even if you're fasting or training for a marathon or whatever it is, something painful, you're choosing that because you think it's going to make you most happy. Um, or if you're tugging on a bottle and you're miserable and you know it's making you miserable but even at that moment you know it's going to make you miserable but you're thinking to yourself okay, this is what I need this is going to make me most happy whatever it is, good or bad Um, and so he makes himself miserable and he ends up close to death with nothing, stripped of everything right? and in the middle of the story this beautiful verse verse 17 of Luke 15 Luke 15, 17 it says He's feeding pigs with nothing, and all of his friends have left him, and he has no money. And he has no dignity left. And he's desperate. And verse 17 said, He came to his senses. And he goes home. He goes home with the slightest hope that, you know, my dad, he's a good man and he's wealthy, and it, it, even as a servant, I can live there better. I can live there better. And he goes home, and he's practicing his speech like, Can I be a servant? I'm so sorry. And the father, what does the father do? He doesn't just sit on the porch and do this. hmm He doesn't even sit on the porch and go, so glad you're home. He, what? You guys said it. He runs out to meet the Son. And again, in the ancient Near Eastern context that Jesus is the one telling this parable, that he tells this in, it's, it's astonishing for so many reasons that I don't have time to unpack. You're familiar with a lot of them, some of you, but... Um, It was very undignified, first of all, for a a patriarch to run like that. Had a robe on, wasn't wearing Levi's jeans, you know. Had to hike up the road probably and run. And everyone was watching. The village knows everyone in the village. Not only is that undignified, but to receive back with open arms the son who has utterly shamed you in an honor-shame culture. The father is taking the shame of his wayward son upon himself. And he doesn't just say, yes, you can be a servant. You know, you need to be up by five, work in the fields. That would have been loving. Doesn't do that. He cuts him off at his speech. He throws his arms around him. He weeps on his shoulder. He says, kill the fattened calf. It's party time. My son, my son that I thought was dead and that indeed was dead in sin and rebellion who had wa- the sheep who had wandered off has been returned. What a glorious... And then there's the second sign. And we're not even going to get into that, but it's such a rich story. Like I said, it really follows the trajectory. It's almost like an, an unpacking of this psalm, which is an unpacking of the story. Many of Jesus' parables, I remember re- realizing this a few years ago, and it kind of opened up a new, a new angle of appreciation for me in Jesus' parables. A lot of them, They're telling you a truth, but a lot of them are actually giving you the sweep of salvation history. And this one's no different. Because, again, the fact is that we started off in the father's home, loved by him, always loved by him. But then we turned from him and and things happened in us that meant that he couldn't be with us as we were. And he let us go. Um, He let us go for a time. But then there was a time when that son came to his senses and he came back. But the point I want to make here and the reason I bring this up in the context of this last verse of Psalm 23 Is that what we have in this verse, as I've touched on some is and as I started with goodness and surely goodness and mercy were what follow me, follow me. And that that verb is not well translated. I hate to say it. The ESV is wonderful. And oftentimes ESV follows the King James version, which it should, because why change something that's really good? But sometimes they have better texts now, especially in the, some of the pastoral epistles that they use, some original some, uh, manuscripts. And uh, also sometimes they'll just update antiquated language. But here I think they follow the, the King James, and it really is a much stronger verb. It's not a secondary or a tertiary definition. Um, it is the central definition of this term. Is to pursue or hunt down. It's a hunting term. The first time it appears in the Bible is in Genesis fourteen. What happens in Genesis fourteen that involves a hunt? Anyone know Bible? Bible scholars here. Abraham goes after his nephew Lot, who has been taken by these Canaanite kings. And Abraham, this gives you. This is one of the few things. Every once in a while you get a glimmer of how much God has blessed Abraham materially. This is one of the things that maybe most shows. You have overt statements like when Abraham's um, servant goes to find him a son. He says, God has blessed my, my, my master Abraham with tons of stuff. Well here, Abraham gets, when he finds out that Lot, he's old, he's past 75 at this point. He's old, but he's fit. And here's how you know, he goes after his nephew and he gathers all of the men of war who are of age to go fight in his household. And it's over 300 men, which tells you that he probably had at least a couple thousand people in his charge as part of his household. And the dude was was blessed and he goes, he gathers this small army and he goes after they, they hunt this pack down that had stolen a Lot and they get Lot back. It's the first time this, this verb, goodness and mercy, will follow me, appears in the Bible. Another time that it appears, a few, a few instances later, it's not used a ton, is in Joshua, where Joshua hunts down those of the city of Ai, I believe it is, and they destroy the city and all its inhabitants. They perse- it even means to hunt down or pursue. It even means to persecute. It's a, it's a violent, aggressive word. Um, We see something of it in another psalm that I think we can think of. Psalm 23 we can think of as like, oh, it's it's about a sheep feeding. It's, It's nice and it's bucolic and it's comforting. And it is, but not just, right? Same with Psalm 139. Wonderful, rich psalm. A lot of fridge magnet verses come from that. One of the biggest is, you know, you've knit me together in my mother's womb. Fearfully, wonderfully, true, wonderful picture of how God he cares about, it's like he's a, he's a mother knitting together this child. Every child in the world. he cares. Life begins at conception. He cares about every single detail, and he makes us, and he breathes his life into us, and we become made in his image, though born opposed to him because of the curse, right? But Psalm 139 is actually another psalm that's uh, it's really aggressive. Um, it's basically a psalm of David trying to escape from God, as it were, And not being able to. So let me just give you a a, uh, one instance. Psalm one thirty nine seven. Where shall I go from Your Spirit, or where shall I flee from Your presence? If I said that to my wife, man, that wouldn't be good. We'd be, she'd be. I get cold children for at least a couple days. Where shall I flee from Your presence? (laughs) Yeah, don't try that at home. So he's he's kind of a hypothetical David saying. He's like, if I try to get away from You, I can't. Where shall I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I I can't get away from you in heaven, certainly. I can't even get away from you in hell. You're already there. Darkness, light, it's all the same to you. Because you are light, I cannot escape you. I cannot escape what? Your goodness and mercy. Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me and hunt me down. All the days of my life. Think of a bear robbed of her cubs. Think of my wife going after Susanna. This is the picture, mildly, of God who goes after his own, who have been lost, and who have wandered from the fold, and he goes after us. We have a, we have a friend who, she, uh, she wandered far from God, and I remember being with her and her husband, and the two, my wife and I in our, in our den, and just looking at her and saying, You are on the verge. I can see you sitting on the precipice of hell right now. You are so in pursuit of your own agenda and your own rebellion against the living God. Blatant, blatant um, adultery for years. And it was like, you have a husband who's waiting for you and who wants you to come home and you have a God who's after you. you and we just saw God go after her and rescue her. And this is her own story. I mean, she tells it so much more powerfully than she has, uh, than I can. But God, her story is that God went after me through no good of my own, and he rescued me. Because he's good. Remember, it's goodness and mercy, which might be better translated um, steadfast love. It's covenant loyalty is probably the better word for it. Um, that God, that in which God goes after us, right? Um, it's my story in many ways. In a sense, it's a story of all those who have been captured by Christ. And this is the kind of God that we serve. Think about Paul of Tarsus going after Christians to put him in jail. And what happens? You know, is God a gentleman on the road to Damascus? No, he 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 interrupts and blinds Paul, throws him off of his horse and grabs him by the neck, as it were, by the scruff of the neck and says and says, why are you persecuting me? You're mine. And Paul just surrenders. And that's the sense in which the best way I could lead you to Christ is just to say surrender to the living God. He's coming after you in his goodness and his mercy. Um, But but I want to bring this back to the parable. Um and then say a few things and close us um, as we as we move into communion here, but um, why do I bring up the goodness and mercy will hunt me down all the days of my life right on the heels of the parable of the prodigal son? First of all, because in the text, so I wanted you to see that that David's saying, man, goodness and mercy will will pursue me all my days, but also that it actually does fit with the parable of the prodigal son, even though at first it doesn't seem like it does. And a lot of you know this, but it bears repeating that Jesus, um, you know, the biggest thing we can do in, in reading anything is context. It's the most important thing. Uh, certainly when Jesus is telling his parables, who's he telling them to? Um, why is he telling them? In what other stories is he is setting a group of, of stories? Well, this particular parable is not the first of story, but it's the third he tells all in a row to the same people who are basically like, why are you spending so much time, they're religious people like me, like pastors essentially and we can tend to get up and we can tend to start to think that God's about good behavior it's not the gospel so they're like, why are you spending so much time with sinners and he goes, okay, let me tell you a story, whenever Jesus says that, you better watch out, because like he's pulling out and it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but he loves on them too he loves on them too when he gives them the, par- the picture of the second son. He's calling to them too. He's saying the father's calling you in too. Okay, but that's for another. That's another sermon for another day. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the parable of the prodigal son is the third that he tells all together. So what is my point? You're supposed to interpret that parable on the heels of the other two. We never, don't do it in isolation. And briefly, the other two are what's the what's the first lost thing? The parable of the lost coin. A lady loses a coin one out of ten. It's not like. The coins we have they're essentially worthless, like real silver. Right? And she loses one, so she tears the house apart looking for it, right? So how does she find the coin? She does find it, she goes to party. Right? She finds it by going after it. Second parable. Yeah, the sheep. It directly relates to Psalm 23. The lost sheep. And what how is the sheep found? What happens? Shepherd goes after it. Shepherd goes after it, just like here in Psalm 23. A woman goes after the coin. Shepherd goes after the lost sheep that's been wandering. Returns my soul. But in the parable of the prodigal son, does the father go after the son? He runs out to meet him, but he doesn't go after him. Jesus wants you to think about that. He's telling these in succession. So one of the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew teaching devices is. Remember the Sesame Street thing? One of these things is not like the other. They show four frames and three of them are alike and one of them is not alike. That's what Jesus is doing here. So we're supposed to be like a burr in our saddle. Why is this one different? This is the crescendo parable. This is the most important one. Coins and sheep are important, but not as important as the lost son. And remember, this is a story about the sweep of human history, about what has happened, how God has come to rescue us. So in the parable, true, the father doesn't go run out. But in the sweep of human history, he does. The father doesn't, but who does? The son. And who's the one telling the parable? The son. Jesus. Jesus is sitting there saying, yeah, the older brother in the parable, he was sitting there like this. Mad that his younger brother came home. Not only did he not go after him, he was the one in charge of the family household. He should have. He didn't. And he wasn't excited. Far from it. Quite the opposite. I sometimes tend to have that sort of reaction when I see a sinner coming to the kingdom. Hopefully not, but man, on my worst days, it's like I get into behaviorism, cleaning myself up. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about Jesus coming to rescue us who are far from God and in our rebellion of wickedness and sin, hating him. When we nail him to the cross, he's praying for us. He's dying for us. He's paying for our sins. He's making us clean. He came for the sick. That's what he tells us. His enemies, that's what He tells us. And the point is, we're all desperately sick. And those of us who see it have a chance. Because God's going after us. So Jesus is sitting there telling this parable to them. And He's basically saying, I am the Son. The Father has gone after you. The Father is going after you. His name is me, Jesus. I am the most precious thing to my Father. I am His beloved. He has sent me. He has sent me on a rescue mission. That makes Liam Neeson look like a little mama's boy. <laughs> That's right, I said it, Liam. I'm not gonna get it. I hate Liam, Liam Neeson. Jesus Christ passing through the heavens in the fullness of time, Galatians four, to rescue us. Hey, at infinite cost to himself. We can be brought into the house of the Father because he was thrust out. He who had every right to be there. We are pursued, hunted down by goodness and mercy by God Himself because he was thrust aside and crushed. So that we could be made whole. Isaiah 53. Please the Father. He loved his son, not because he's a sadist. It pleased the Father to crush his son because that was the only way. Saint Anselm a thousand years ago. Saint Anselm of Canterbury. You know, Kurdeus Homo in Latin. Why did God become man? Because it was the only way to save us. And so, if there was another way, he would not have subjected his precious son. But he sent him on the rescue mission because Jesus said, I am the way, as Justin wrote earlier, and the truth and the life. Finish it for me. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. But let's go ahead and add to that. Not to add to his words. But the implication there is. But everyone who comes to me. Everyone can come to me. And everyone who does. Comes right in. To the home that you've wandered so far from. To the seat of the Father. To his embrace. Because Jesus on that cross. Took our sin upon himself. And finished the work. Those are some of the last words he said. It is finished. And by faith we receive his righteousness, and we get by his Holy Spirit his heart of love for the Father. Right? And we continue to sin in this life, but the power of sin has been broken. The power of Satan has been broken. The power of death has been broken. Death is no longer a yawning abyss that raises meaning in life that sends us into further unraveling forever. Jesus took that in your place. Now, death for a Christian is a doorway to hold of him grabbing hold of your hand and taking you to the Father and taking you home. Right. Um, so we see surely as we finish the, the verse, and then I'll close and we'll move to communion to the Lord's table. We see not only that goodness and mercy shall follow me, but David says here, and it's in the Hebrew, that particle surely. He starts with surely. And if he, he starts this way in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. Not maybe, not possibly, but God is coming after me. He will hunt me down in my sin and rebellion. That is the gospel. Okay, that surely goodness and mercy will pursue and hunt me down. Not when I get to heaven. But what? What's the next line? All the days of my life, it starts now. Knowing God starts the minute you say, Jesus, you're my rescuer. You came for me. I'm a sinner. You hung on the cross for me. I need you. Come into my life. He does it. Life starts right then. New birth happens. You're no longer identified by being born, out of the first Adam, biological birth. You're born out of the second Adam, the very Son of God, who obeyed God. Unlike Adam, who disobeyed God at the tree, the second Adam obeyed God at the tree to bring you back home. Right. So home is what we were made for, and home is where we're heading. Our our house is being worked on right now, and uh, you know, like when you cut, you don't really appreciate the fact that you have thumbs until like you cut your phone, and you're like. Man, everything you touch with your thumb, it hurts, and you're like, I, I really like my thumbs. I really appreciate. It. Thanks for imposable thumbs, Lord. Um, you don't, re- you don't uh, recognize, you don't appreciate something until it's broken, until it hurts, right? And you know, the house, I, I take it for granted. It's such a blessing, though. Um, not having most of our house to use for the past few months, and no kitchen. It's, man, I really appreciate a workable house. I was with a homeless man this morning, and honestly, confession time. I wept when I got in the car. Because he's a guy that I talked to a few weeks ago and he remembered me. It, it, I say that because, like, he was, he, he's, he's dealing with some stuff, man. He, he's talking, he's beating the air and talking, and I, I kind of gendered up the courage. I feel like the Lord was, again, the Lord's the one who goes after us. And so we, and I'll finish with this, we, as we're marked increasing by Christ, we are marked as the people who go after those that are hurting. And I've seen that in you guys, and, and it's been so encouraging um, and exhortational for me um and so but I, I went and i talked to him just briefly briefly briefly. gave him like a like you know a protein bar or something and then this morning at the taqueria um i said what's up and and he had his, his pack of cigs and his coffee and i was getting some breakfast tacos so uh, I, I never ordered three i always ordered two but i ordered three that morning and uh and so you have to order them first otherwise i would have bought them a couple but you have to order them first and i was kind of in a hurry to be here and so I was like, hey, would you like a taco? So I had a free one to give him, because I had to still have my two. And, uh, and then he's like, yeah, I'd love just one, so I gave him the taco. And, uh, but I just, it was 7.15, and I wanted to bring him here, but, because he belongs here, you know? Like, um, but I was just like, man, two hours of him, is our first time here worshiping in the Marriott. And, I don't, and so I just sat in my car and wept, like, I want to be, I want to be a people who, in goodness and mercy, know that we've been pursued and who run after more. And I want to also have a place. That's one of the reasons I want to bring that up. I want to have a place. This is an amazing place. I love that we meet in our homes. I want our homes to be places, and our hearts and our lives to be places where we do that, where we go after people and bring them into our life, and low on in Jesus' name. But I also would like, we're looking at a place on Hillcroft today in a few months, maybe ready, and if we have a place like that that we're renting or whatever, it's right there, you know where I just love it to be an open door mission, you know, and uh, and, and obviously we don't have to wait for that, but a bit confession, bit of a bit of a vision casting. But I am, um, you know, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life as I close down, just kind of giving, giving you these two things. Um, goodness and mercy, where do why does J- David choose those terms? He chooses those terms because they come right out of one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Exodus 33 and 34. And it's in those passages that God reveals himself to Moses, I almost said David, at Moses' request. Moses is in love with God. He says, well, we're not going to the land and you're not going with us, and I want to see you. And God says, get ready. I'm going to have to cover you and a bunch of other stuff. But he says, I will make all of my here's the term, same term, goodness, pass before you. It means beauty, goodness, all things that are good. God's the source of And then he later says in the next chapter, chapter 34, he uses the term. If you have the ESV, it's it's twice in there, in verses seven and nine, I think. Um, I am the God of steadfast love, and the word means covenant loyalty. Um, and so, these, these are words that God has revealed Himself to David, uh, to Moses, as this is who I am. So, the the short answer to the question: goodness and surely goodness, not maybe, not possibly, but definitely, without a doubt, surely, goodness and mercy will hunt me down all the days of my life. What are goodness and mercy? Goodness and mercy are the living God himself. And he has hunted us down in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we're made for, where we came from is home. And what we're made for is home. When I look, when I think of home, I think of a sort of snowy day. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Dickens fan. I'm a wing of the willows, Kenneth Graham fan. I, I think of a snowy day in a snowy street and having rags on and being really cold and seeing a house with these thick, window panes and there's a glow inside and there's a family inside and there's a fire crackling and kind of press your, your red nose to the glass and you're looking at what's going on inside that home. It's like you have this, the settles, the high back settles in front of the, the hearth and the big wig being, you have, you know, the guys, the man of the house, his feet are up on the, the ottoman being, being warm by the fire. He's got a mug of ale in his hand and, uh, and he has, you know, some big, big, uh, oaken bookcases with cloth bound and leather bound books. Uh, floor to ceiling on them, and you have a happy family in there. The, the, the table is, is plied with all sorts of rich feasting food, and there's there's merriment, there's happiness, and there's warmth, and there's fire, and there's candlelight, and it's and that's what I think of when I think of home. And and what we're made for is is that with the Lord and with each other forever. Um, you know, Slipping into lavender-scented uh, sheets at night, and not 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 being worried, not not having a care. Um, Jesus left that. He left that um, to, to, to become in a sense orphan on the cross that we can be brought in. Um, to bring us into this place. And it doesn't start one day, it starts now, but we're heading to that good place. Um, because, of, because of the fact that goodness and mercy chase after us. Um, So let me just say a thing or two, and then we'll move into communion. Friends, he did not come get us because we deserved it. He's not preparing a place for us in the father's house because we earned it. I don't. You don't. We don't pursue goodness and mercy. It pursues us. Right. On that mountain, when God said, I will reveal myself to you and I will be your people, I will be your God and you'll be my people. What had happened just before that? The chapter before that? The people had just literally made an idol and given all their affections to something else that they created. That's what we've done, right, in our blood and sin. And still, he says to Moses, "Goodness and mercy is pursuing you. It's not based on your behavior." Jesus, when he says what he does, that Justin read earlier about um, about how I am the way and the truth and the life, um, I am going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may also be. The very thing that precedes that in the text, John 14, is the end of John 13. What, what happens right before Jesus says that to them? I am going to bring you home. I am going to lose home. I have left home to come bring you back home. Right before that, the episode before that, is Jesus um, saying to Peter, will you, will you stay with me? Even if friend He said, no, truly, Peter, I say to you, that before the cock crows, twice, you'll deny me three times. That's the last thing that he says before turning to them and saying, come to me. I'm the way home. I'm going to take you to from the rest of you. I have come to pursue you with everything that I am and bring you home. We don't earn it. Far from it, but he's earned it for us. So I just want to um, enjoin you to let go of I guess a couple points of application and then, and then communion. Um. Just, Justin said earlier, repenting of, of the things we've done that are wrong, but also sometimes repenting of the things that we've done that are right, if we've done them to try to earn God's favor. Because the fact is that only one measures up, Jesus. And by faith in Him, you measure up too. That's, that's the gospel. He takes your sin and gives you all of His righteousness. He clothes you, He cloaks you. He brings you into the house. Um, so being that kind of people... And, and also on that note, lastly, just being a people as his body, with his spirit in us, who not our chief method of sharing the gospel is not hey, come see, although that's some, some of what we want to do, right? Come join us, come into my house, come into our house church, come into our fellowship. Yes, always. But to be a people who like Christ are people who go, who go out. And that's what increasingly we're focusing in on as a body of believers to help you to do that better, to help you to be a people who take Jesus' word seriously and have His Spirit inside you and go out and make disciples and go after people who are lost and broken and hurting. Um, and also, that's us, too. There's a sense in which we are all broken and hurting, but we've been found. Because indeed, we are Christ. And so, and so going out to one another and being honest about that and finding fellowship there and finding help you know, in Christ